Welcome to Family Twist, a podcast about relatively unusual stories of long-lost families, adoption, and lots of drama. I'm Corey. And I'm Kendall, and we've been partners for over 16 years. Hi, it's Corey. Kendall is taking a little time away for his birthday, and he's hanging out with his sister, Stephanie. In the meantime, we've been planning some really awesome guests for upcoming episodes, as well as continuing to tell Kendall's story. Today is a bonus episode, and it is not a current interview. It goes back a few years, but I started my career as an entertainment journalist, and when the opportunity arises to interview a legend, I jumped at it. So today's conversation is with the incomparable Carol Channing. Now, Carol revealed some family twists of her own in her autobiography, which leads to the twist we talk about in this interview. Carol and her middle school sweetheart were able to reunite after Carol wrote about him in her autobiography and he tracked her down. And 70 years later, they got married. It's an amazing story and, well, I'll let them get to that. Hello? Hello, is this Dr. Channing? Oh, Dr. Channing, I like that. (laughs) Yes, is this Corey? This is Corey. Yes, hello, Corey. I'm expecting your guest. <laughs> how are you this morning? Oh, I'm fine. So uh, how is uh, this chilly California weather treating you today? Oh, it's beautiful here. You see, it's cold, all right, but there's uh, snow on the top of the mountains all around the valley, the Coachella Valley. Yes. Oh, it's gorgeous. The dogs bark at it because it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's just it's just gorgeous. Oh, I knew you're all very cold. <laughs> well, actually, I'm in California as well. I'm in the San Francisco area. Oh, yeah. Well, we were raised there. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, yes, two weeks after I was born, we came to San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. Well, I did want to thank you very much for the work that you do in, in arts and education, because I know without um, the, that those programs in public schools that I, you know, I would not be the person I am today. So it's, I know how important they are. Ah, thank you. I'm glad that happened to you, too. It happened to both my husband and me. It's, yeah, I mean, the theater programs, the uh, the fine arts, it's, you know, I think that the def- they're definitely essential to helping, you know, make people fully, you know, very well-rounded individuals. Absolutely. Oh, now how long have you lived in San Francisco? Just about a year. Oh, that's all. Well, I got to grow up there, and so did my husband, Harry. And we we grew up there, and it was a metropolitan art colony. And everything came to San Francisco because it had a guaranteed audience. Right, exactly, exactly. Yes, and Saul Hurok. I mean, you couldn't do that in Wichita, right. you know. But he brought everything from Europe. Yaishi Nomura from Japan, Japan's greatest uh, entertainer. Oh, Anya Andrews from Paris because he knew he would sell out in San Francisco. Right. Exactly. And I got to see every one of them growing up because I had a 50 cents a week allowance. You, you got to see some pretty amazing things, I would imagine. Oh, I got wonderful dance pantomime things. And and I was able to hear Marian Anderson sing wow. in the, in our, our old opera house. And, oh, 
But we had an opera house that we were very proud of, but they built a new one, and it's gorgeous. And I was the second one in it. They had a contest for children, what American citizenship means to me. And I won it, and the prize was a trip to Honolulu for anyone you wanted to bring with you. And I just turned 16 years old, and I took my mother. And we had a wonderful trip. Oh, wow. I bet that was fantastic. As important as arts are in the schools today, what are some things that just regular folk like me, what can I do or what can people do to, to get involved? Oh, thank you. You see, arts did something to Harry and me when we were, I met Harry when I was 12 and he was 13. Okay. I thought he looked biblical. <laughs> I thought he looked like Moses sitting on Mount Sinai eating a fig. You know what I mean? Right. That wonderful big biblical look. Oh, well, he's still that way. <laughs> and then after 70 years of separation, I think it was 70, it may have been more, uh, we got married. Wow. So I was busy in New York and on the stage 65 to 70 years in the live theater with very little time off. Right. He had a beautiful 65-year marriage, and I had a miserable 42-year marriage. And we picked up right from where we left off because we fell in love with the arts in public schools during the Great Depression. Wow. It was the Depression. I wondered, how do we always have gas for the car? Harry always or he organized a band that became a school band at, for dances and things, right. and he, he organized it, and music was with his, and we discovered poetry together, but he used to book us on weekends for political rallies. That's the only people that had any money at all. And I thought, how can we always have gas for the car when people don't even have a car to put gas in? They had nothing. People were coming to my, my, my mother's, my my parents' home, and my mother was feeding families, and they'd say, do you have any milk for my children? And there were the children with the, the father. Oh, it was just that depression was devastating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Harry was able to book us and pay us. He paid, I think he paid 50 cents to each one. And I don't know what he paid the rest, paid the band, and it was called Harry's Five, and I was his vocalist. I, this isn't about the arts. But anyway, we discovered poetry together, and I just got through talking to the Board of Education about the, the real representatives of the Board of Education. It was the executives of it, and we were able to recommend what happened to us, they kept the arts going in Aptos Junior High School in San Francisco. But, but poetry was what we went, suddenly went crazy about. He went crazy about uh, Edgar Allan Poe. I went crazy about Milton Keats and Shelley and all that. Oh, sure. We, just, we were thrilled to go to school and our grades went up. And do you know, because of that, oddly enough, it expands your brain in science, history, English, math, and things that do not have anything to, you wouldn't think they had anything to do with the arts, but the arts opened us both up, and Harry got the all-round medal for the best scholar and the, the best athlete. Wow. And he was the center on the soccer team, and he was, oh, anyway, but it, it was just, and I got, the next year, a year later, because I was one year younger than he was, that, that was, well, I still am, but, but the, the next year, I won the same medal, the best all-round student 
and I taught the children how to dance. Wow. And I got the same medal. They have it on exhibit now. They have them on exhibit at Aptos <laughs> Junior High. It's a big silver disc, and it says, Oh, best all-around student. We didn't expect Harry didn't. Well, he got it. I saw him get the medal. That's and fantastic. It was, anyway, that, so because it meant so much to us and it expanded our brain. See, what people don't know is the arts are like fertilizer on the human brain. Right. And they don't realize it and they don't believe it, but it is. Absolutely. And we experienced it. Absolutely. And now what we do is we went to the educational system of California just a week ago about that, that was a privilege that they wanted us to come and explain what the heck are you doing here? You know, and what are you doing to the whole educational system? And we're rocking it really, Corey. It's wonderful. And we said we want you to end the removal of arts in the public schools of California. And we told them we want you to replace and provide arts. Now, of course, those school districts and individual schools within that district who suffer the most from poverty and severe social problems, boy, that, that's what we want. Get it to the one. See, private schools always have arts. Right. They have the money to pay the, the art teachers. They fired all the art teachers in public schools. Fired every one of them. And the result is these children come into kindergarten, the teachers told me, eager to learn, and slowly they watch their little brains disintegrate. Right. Because it's nothing but the three R's. We wanted them to provide a resolution that declares its support for the arts as an academic necessity for a full and adequate education for California public schools. It has to be, it's a necessity. Right. It's absolutely important. So we did, Harry got brand new musical instruments sent to a little place in California called Nowhere, California, a population 75. They're mostly Hispanic. And he got, he got new instruments. They came and played them for us. They played what they learned. About, we heard them opening the packages. Somebody left the telephone right there in the middle of them. It was thrilling. And they said, what's this? Well, it's a, you know, this is an oboe. And they were talking. And then they lined up and said, thank you to the telephone. <laughs> and, you know, we heard them play. And they played. And, and Harry took them to his sister's house at, where his sister's husband is a, is a farmer in the San Joaquin Valley. And it's a, boy, that's, that's a big man. And he gave, they gave them lunch and everything. And they all... They they played, uh, uh, and you know what they played? Hello, Dolly. Oh. I just almost cried. They played it on tune, and these brand new, if the instruments aren't brand new, you know, they're not as good. They're more difficult to play. Right. And then we told them, you can't leave out the arts and say, it's a complete education, and the Constitution says they have a right to it. Absolutely. They have an Yes, oh, well, you agree. That's yes. wonderful. And then we, uh, we told them it's up to you to grant them the arts and 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 to grant them the tools for the arts. They got those things in Aptos in the middle of the terrible depression. This is the next generation for the United States of America. And I see the whole thing is 
we're not trying to save the arts, Harry and I. We're using the arts to save our children. Right. That's exactly what we're doing. And and they believed us. But you know, it's funny. The Board of Education, I could feel it. They're rather proud of themselves. And they realized, no, then we have no right to be proud of ourselves. We're giving them a lopsided education. Exactly. And that's the way, that was the way the Holy Roman, just before the fall of the Holy Roman Empire, the heck with the Sistine Chapel, the heck with the arts. And they were the arts of the world. But every great empire was like that. They were. They held the arts high in estimation, and they thought, "No, let's get into debauchery and temporary pleasures and all that stuff." And they did, and that was the end of the Holy Roman Empire. Right. Exactly. And there was one group that asked me to come and talk to them, Job Corps, and they were every color of the rainbow, and they were all dropouts from public schools, and they scared me to death. They looked so tough, <laughs> really, Corey, and. And I talked to them, and I said, Harry, what in the heck can I say to them? I mean, I'm scared to death of these kids. He said, you tell them your experience. So I did, and I told them how the arts helped me. Really, it was it was thrilling. Do you know what happened? They, they, they said to them, what did you always want to do to one student? He said, I wanted to, I don't know, as a child, I wanted to be an engineer. I thought that was kind of thrilling. They said, we'll get you the best engineering teacher and, we, and, and, you know, the guy's an engineer today. Wow. That's fantastic. And he's thrilled with it. And and the, the girls who are pregnant and, and or on drugs or something, they went back to school and, and they got, they have a nursery at the school. They went back to school. I couldn't believe it. I just told them the truth, what happened to us. Because of being exposed to Milton Keats and Shelley and sweet, sweet, sweet O'Pan and Pierce. And then I told the, the Board of Education the, um, uh, just the truth, what meant so much to me. Oh, what of the wing? This is Edna St. Vincent Malloy. What of the wing that yearns to soar? The feet that plead to dance. Shall not a heart hope long and more to master circumstance? And that I remember it came, it was my father happened to write that in the front of a book um, that he gave me about teaching. And I thought, gee, that's it exactly. What of the wing that yearns to soar? And they won't let them soar. The feet that plead to dance, they cut off their feet. They can't dance now. Absolutely. Absolutely. None of that. And that's what they did. And they all sat there and said, my gosh, it's true. These are the heads of the Board of Education. It's true. And it is true. Somebody wrote a song for me. I just keep talking. Shut me up when you when you (laughs) play the You're fine. It's okay. Really? Yeah. All right. There's there's a truck driver in Modesto, California, where Harry was on the city council, and uh, he, uh, John Wyatt, and he was he was a truck driver, and I harangued him so about this art subject. Do you realize that we're going down the drain, just like every great empire, the Greek empire, they, when they get into debauchery and they get into pregnancies and they get into drugs and all that stuff, it's because they're bored stiff with the three R's. And it, 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 not everybody is, but those that, that some people naturally cotton to, good, I can see what where fathers get. Anyway, he wrote a song for me and 
by the time he got to San Jose, the thing was written. Because I kept haranguing him with this. <laughs> Can I sing the song for sure, you? Sure, absolutely. Okay, I'll sing it Acapulco. Okay. All right? Okay. There's so much go. I sang this to the Board of Education. There's so much go on. Make sure the monkey's lit. There's so much go on. Don't let the spotlight sit. The future's at stake. Our schools now implore us. Just give kids the chance, and you'll see one day their skills will advance. Move over, make way. The arts must keep their place in education. There's so much go on. Come on and board the bus. The show must go on. The children count on us. The curtain must rise. So strike up the chorus. Yes, it's a fact you'll find. The arts expand the mind. In science, history, English, math, biology, zoology, and even sociology, psychology, mythology, and also genealogy, pomposity, verbosity, I'm losing my velocity, but let's keep the arts alive, let's keep young hearts alive, because the show must go on, and that's what I sang to the Board of Education, wow. and you know they, sw they, they swallowed it. That's fantastic. That was wonderful. Yes, it was wonderful. And they all said, my gosh, they didn't really realize that the arts, you see, this is the whole thing. They fertilize the brain, Absolutely. the arts do, on every student. And I can understand fathers who say, look, son, you got to support your family. I want you to be able to support your wife and children. So just take three hours and, and business course. And they're not the ones who get the jobs. Right, exactly. When they graduate from college, they don't get the jobs. It's the ones that were exposed to the arts. They can meet people. They can talk to them. They're thrilled with their education. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the poor guys, whose fathers thought that's all they needed. I can see how they thought that. But I talked to... Well, he happens to be Sophie Tucker's nephew, and uh, but he's the head of the Nevada State Board of Regency, Regents, and that's the education board. And he said, do you know they don't, they're not the ones who get the jobs? They concentrate on just, just the three R's and a business course, and they don't get the jobs. And that's a tragedy. It is. It is. I think the arts definitely help you make a more well-rounded individual, for sure. Yes, and the Constitution says they have to have. It's a. It's their privilege. Right. It's not. Yep. It's the. It's every child's privilege. And so what we're working for is to. Once that you see, California's bankrupt, as you know. Right. But boy, these teachers are willing to work for any amount because they just cry over what they see with the disintegration of their brains in kindergarten. Absolutely. Uh, the, you know, the people yeah. that uh, I stay in touch with a lot of the people I was in school with and, and I was very involved in the theater. And the people there now, they're working in all aspects of, of American society. They're teachers. They're in politics. They're, they're doing everything. It's fantastic, though. Yes, but you do because you're in the arts. I okay. 
Well, I definitely want to make sure we talk about your new CD as well, which I had a chance to listen to, and it's a, a really nice collection of, of, of classic songs. How did, how did that come to be? Oh, it came to be because my father was born in Augusta, Georgia, and he grew up hearing spirituals from the, uh, uh, the neighborhood right near him, and he grew and he taught me these wonderful gospels, gospel songs. He taught me these songs. Oh, they're per they're beautiful, and he used to harmonize them. And I grew up now there. I skipped the second half of the first grade, and I skipped the first half of the second grade, and I couldn't understand why. <laughs> I, I I mean, I was I'm not one of those bright kids that can answer right up, you know, like like they can. I I didn't do that, and I thought why? And I asked the teachers. They said because you catch on to everything much quicker than the other students. That's what the arts do for you, the singing with my father. Exactly. And so I got to sing these gospel songs in Majesto with this truck driver who makes records, the same one, John Wyatt, and uh, a guy that's got the machinery for doing it. We did it, and a man came along and said, hey, I'm going to put that on in Nashville. Wow. And he did. And there's a wonder, oh, there are wonderful songs on it. Oh, they, I mean, they are gone. Uh, see, my father, well, here I am, almost 90, and my father died. So that this is like 200 years ago, gospel songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is, and, and I'm privileged to have them in my head, and I love them. And we would get in the car and drive all the way to Boston from San Francisco, and my mother was in the back seat. She said that was the happiest times in her life. We were singing away. Daddy was driving, and we said, and that's what I hear his voice harmonizing with me all the time I'm doing it. Wow, that's fantastic. Yes, and, and it's just beautiful. And, I mean, to me, it's beautiful. Now, I don't know. We'll see if it's beautiful to anyone else. <laughs> well, how did you decide on which songs to include then? I just took them all. Oh, okay. I did everything my father taught me. I just took every one of them. Oh, there are wonderful ones. Mama, send me a letter. Papa, send me a stamp. Says, huh, won't you please come back home? I hung my jawbone upon the fence. I ain't never seen my jawbone since. Oh, my, a lousy me. I ain't got a friend in this world. And that was what the milkman sang from what he learned in church. And and he sang it. He would go from house to house, and it would take him just so long to get to the next house, Daddy told me. Wow. And is that a wonderful song? That's great. That's really oh, great. I love it. I love it. And he taught me all that. Uh, just all kinds of things that I just, and I hear his voice harmonizing. Wow. That's great. That's great. So I asked in the, in the gospel thing, I said, did you hear my father's voice harmonizing with me on that song? Well, I did. And then we go on to the next one. <laughs> Gentlemen still prefer blondes? 
She's widowed, and she wants to 
rejoin the human race. She hates hats, and she wants to rejoin the human race. And and Dolly herself wants to. She's widowed. She's frightened. Underneath all the thrilling dancing and the, the funny lines, it's a comedy, really. Yeah. Norton Wilder was one of our sixth graders playwrights. The government proclaimed him, and our government, and and that that he wants to rejoin the, the Dolly wants to she, she at, at night she's her last soliloquy. I found it buried in her last soliloquy in her final speech. Every night she talks to her dead husband, yes. Ephraim, and she says, Ephraim, I want to rejoin the human race, and Ephraim, I want you to give me away at the wedding, and she. Boy, um, and then comes the Hello Dolly number. Right. Of course, I'm still in love with Hello Dolly. I can't help it. Yeah, no, that's it's such a fantastic show. Yeah, I, I, actually, that was one of the shows I performed when I was in, was always doing theater. Was Hello Dolly? Ah, then you did you know that the spine for see the spine concludes every character in it. It grabs it. That, that they do the beats and actions that lead to the spine. Every character in it, including Dolly, is trying to rejoin the human race. Cornelius and Barnaby. What did you play? I was uh, just part of the ensemble. Oh, I see. Well, that's all right. The ensemble seems a lot of the plot. That's right. Jerry but but I found it. I'm so proud. That's yeah. That is. I, I had never thought about it that way before. Yes, that's what they're. Everybody in it is trying to rejoin the human race. Even Horace, even though he doesn't realize it, probably until the end. Horace Vandergelder <laughs> is there. He miserable. Of course he is. He's, he fights. He says, "I was, uh, uh, I was the meanest, and therefore the 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 most hated man in Yonkers." Yes. And he was proud of that. <laughs> the meanest man in Yonkers. Oh boy, it shows you how rich he was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and he wants to rejoin the human race, and he marries Dolly, and you know he's going to be the mayor of the town with Dolly behind him. Exactly, exactly. Yes, he'll have nothing but friends. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, oh, I'm glad you played it, because that's how you find the spine. Gather all their beats and actions together in each scene, everybody, including the main character, and then you get the spine. Exactly, exactly. I have to tell you that Konstantin uh, 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 Stanislavsky and Richard Boleslavsky found this method of finding the main action of every, the spine of every play. And if, there, if he writes honestly, if the, if the playwright writes honestly, if he doesn't write honestly, and very often the playwright doesn't know it himself. Right, right. But I asked Thornton Wilder, he was alive at the time, did you know this is the spine? And he thought about it quite a while, and he says, yeah, that is the spine. <laughs> and he really thought about it. It's thrilling to, to, to find it. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. I had never really thought about it that way, and that's, that's very interesting. It is interesting, I know. So I told Gower Champion, and he said, well, I was just thinking that that's what it was, because Gower doesn't want anybody to find anything that he doesn't find first. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, that's all right, I told him. <laughs> and, and it was, that's what created the great Hello Dolly number. Wow, that's great.
Yeah. I mean, that was the spine behind it. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, well, your version of that also, of Hello Dolly, is probably just, it did stand the test of time, for sure. Oh, thank you. Well, you never know. Marilyn Monroe is much prettier and all that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's probably more box office. I don't know. No, we had the biggest box office ever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, they were charging $500 a seat from the scalpers. It made Mr. Merrick mad, our producer. Oh, I bet. Because he said, those darn scalpers are getting all the money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he was a great producer. Oh, I just worship him. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah. Well, now, some people say that, uh, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but what was your reaction the first time you saw somebody imitating you on stage or heard about it? Oh, I don't know who they're doing. I just can't imagine who that person is. Yeah. And why are they all men? <laughs> I don't know. You know, do I have a glandular imbalance of some kind that nobody wants to tell me about? <laughs> what could it be? But anyway, they all do, and they, it's with all the affection in the world that they do it, and I'm very grateful. Oh, but Lucy did me once, a beautiful, a pretty, pretty girl, and very feminine, did me once on her program. Is that right? Yes, she did. I was proud of that. And, oh, she was wonderful. And she did it, and she sang Hello, Dolly, and everything. And the policeman comes into her at the end and says, I'm arresting you for disturbing the peace. And she says, Officer, I didn't mean any harm. And he said, Harm? Look what you just did to Carol Channing. And that was the end of the show. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> I thought that was a very funny show. Of course, I loved it. Of course. <laughs> what an honor. Did you get a chance to thank her for that? You know, I never did, no. Oh, no, I never got to thank her, oh. but I did know her as she was trying to put on a series with uh, me after she and and, and uh, Desi were divorced. And she sent me a great big bottle of champagne, hoping it would go well. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, why it didn't go well? Desi was still so in love with Lucy. Uh, yeah. He was so in love with her that he'd say, no, 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 say it this way. No, no, say your punchline this way. Well, that's the way Lucy said it. Right, exactly. But that's not, that, that, and he didn't realize he was so in love with her that he couldn't take anybody else's character. Right, yeah. He, yeah, he was directing me, and, and he just directed me to be another Lucy. Well, that's going to get you nowhere. Exactly, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's a shame. Yes, it, it didn't work. So after, I mean, you've, you've performed on stage many, many a time, but is it still exciting for you when you when you walk out there on the boards? What is, what is that feeling right before you get on stage? Helen, Helen Hayes, the, they called her the first lady of the theater. Yes. Maybe, you know, no. Well, anyway, Helen Hayes said, God made stage fright. God created it because it makes your brain work faster and deeper and more, you're, you're absolutely, your brain is at its height after stage fright. And that's true. That's true. The more stage fright I got, the, the better the show was. I, I did um, uh, shows when, when the, 
I had ovarian cancer, and the doctor would stand in the wings, and I think you reach to the heavens to get the show out, but you can't not be there. I never missed a show right tours because I did it anyway, you know, and gee, I sound like I'm bragging about myself. I never did feel that way. I just thought I was trying to, trying to come up to an impossible mission. Right, you know? exactly. And I never knew if I came up to it or not, but if the audience, they, they saved their hard-earned money, they got babysitters, they drove in for God knows how long, and, uh, and they, they wanted to see the show, and then I'm not there. I can't do that. Right. So I got there every single performance, and I reached to the I reached to the heavens to get the show out, and you know that's the show you're, that's your best performance. Right. Exactly. It always is. Yeah. Exactly. That's why Helen Hayes said that to me. She said, "No, God made God made stage fright. That's your best performance, the one you can hardly get out." Right. Wow. That's something. That's really something. Yeah, there was a girl I worked with in Wonderful Town, and and uh, she played my sister. It was the basis of my sister Eileen, and Wonderful Town was, and she was my little sister, and she missed a performance. And I said, well, you missed your performance yesterday. And she said, but I was sick. Didn't they tell you I was sick? And I said, but then you missed your best performance. You missed your own best performance, I tried to tell her. And she couldn't figure that one out. That's a difficult lesson to learn sometimes. Uh, yeah, she, she didn't realize. Well, she wasn't carrying the show, so what the heck, she didn't have to learn it. Right. <laughs> That's the one that, that gets the Tony Award. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Where do you keep your Tonys? Yeah, we've got them lined up here. Oh, okay. Okay. Very nice. There are about, let's see, three of them and then four awards. But I, that doesn't interest me. It's the immediate performance. You've got to reach that audience. Exactly. They save their hard-earned money. Right. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, you gotta do it. And it, 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 but that's what kept it fresh, is sheer fright. <laughs> that you wouldn't make it. Right? right, exactly. Well, I really appreciate you taking some, some time to speak with me today. Yes, Corey. Well, thank you oh, so much. Yeah. And please, uh, please thank Carrie for me as well. I really appreciate uh, what you two are doing for the arts here in California. Oh, thank you. It's a joy to talk to somebody that know, that realizes the arts are so important that most people don't get interviewers. Yeah, it's, it's so, unfortunate, but hopefully we can do what we can to spread the word. Well, this interview is a joy for Harry and for me. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. You have a pleasant day. You bet. You too. And thank you, Corey. You're bye welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Maybe quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Okay, apologies. I had to do my Carol impression in there somewhere. Thanks for checking out this episode. The last time I saw Carol was in San Francisco, and she was having a theater dedicated to her. And the theater kids that gathered to hear her speak and sing were just so enthralled with her, as was I. She was an amazing person, and it was truly an honor to spend some time with her. Thanks again for checking out this episode of The Family Twist, a bonus episode, and we'll be back very soon with new stories. See you soon. 
This is the Family Twists podcast hosted by Kendall and Corey Stultz with original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts and produced by Outpost Productions and presented by Savoie Fair Marketing Communications. Have a story you want to share? Visit familytwistpodcast.com. All our social media links are there as well.